We are planning your financial future. I'm Scott Thompson. Andy Lister and Don Fox are here from IG Private Wealth Management. You can call them now and leave a message. They will return your call at 905-529-7165. And don't forget their website, andyanddon.com. That's andyanddon.com. Andy and Don, all one word. And there you can ask a question via the listener inquiry button and listen to old shows. Uh, archive shows there as well. Good morning, gentlemen. Good to see you. Morning, Scott. Good morning, Scott. And you brought a guest this time. Yes, all the way from Winnipeg. Mm-hmm. You know, it's it's kind of nice. You know, you, the listeners out there here, Andy and I speak every so often, and quite a lot of the time we're using a lot of the material that this lady has provided to us. Ah, and it's always so. Nice. This is the brains behind this. The is a lot of it. Yes, <laughs> yes. We've been the we've been the talking heads, but that's about it. And uh, you know, Christine's been with Investors IG Wealth Management now for 18 years, 25 years practicing. And I've got this book in front of me right now. That's and it's a big is, one. It's not light reading. It's 650 pages, no pictures. Yeah. And uh, VP of uh, Tax and Estate Planning, is that right? That's correct. Yeah. Wow. Um, very happy to have her here. She's doing some seminars in the area, and it's just a great opportunity for us to, you know, right from the horse's mouth, hear exactly you know, some of the estate issues that um, the average Canadians and and, and particularly the high net worth people out there are having. Mm -hmm. Did you introduce her? (laughs) What's that? Did you introduce her as Christine Van... Van Kallenberg. Thank you. Sorry. Yes. Vice President, Tax and Estate Planning with IG Private Wealth Management. And the book is? The book here is Wealth Planning Strategies for Canadians. I got a 2013 version in front of me. There's been... How many years before that, Christine? Uh, it's currently in its 14th edition. Okay. Wow. So, like, a new one every year. Yep. And uh, how many changes do you make a year to this book? Uh, on average, about four or 500 little edits here and there. Wow. I know. Like, I wish the, the, the governments would get their act together and stop changing stuff all the time. It's so That's annoying. True. Is that what it is? Yeah. Is government making changes you have to adapt Tax to? Tax changes yeah. and all the provincial changes yeah. and stuff like that. And also just evolution in the industry and yeah. new strategies coming up and new ideas. So uh, you want to keep keep it current. Yeah. So you're a lawyer specializing in tax and what um, when the, the designation TEP and often we'll talk to listeners about when you're seeking out advice from a professional in as a, as a lawyer, the TEP is an excellent designation to start. Could you just tell us a little bit about what that is and what it means to the consumer? Yes. Well, so for example, as you were saying, when you're picking a financial planner, you want to have your certified financial planner designation. That's the gold star for financial planners. And for people who are in tax and estate planning, if, whether you're a lawyer or accountant, or even in someone in the investment industry, uh, the trust and estate practitioner designation, or TEP, is the gold standard. And uh, actually, I'm coming back to Toronto in a couple of weeks to go to their annual conference. And uh, it's the largest uh, organization of private wealth uh, professionals in the world. It's it's headquartered in London, England, and we have about 2,500 of them in Canada, and about 800 of them will be hanging out at the Metro Toronto Convention Centre in a couple of weeks. It's, it's going to be a party. <laughs> so if someone's uh, looking for a TEP yes. lawyer to look after some estate planning for themselves, they can just uh, Google that or find yes. a list through a directory? Yeah, you can go onto the, the STEP website, yeah. and uh, there there is a directory. But, uh, you know, we uh, our clients uh, ask us for referrals all the time, and we use our, our contacts and, 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 you know, we know which lawyers and accountants practice in the area, but th- that is yeah. certainly the the, desig- the the gold standard designation. Fantastic. So a, a couple of weeks ago, we were talking about uh, age 40 trusts 
And uh, so a couple of listeners actually sent us some questions mm-hmm. and they were curious about, you were talking about these age 40 things. Um, and one of the comments, and this was probably a grandparent talking in, in re- regards to their grandchildren mm-hmm. and setting something up for them. And um, the, the, the question that they had was, uh, would you be able to access the funds prior to age 40? And um, and if so, how would that, or is it frozen for that period of time? And I guess as, as we were sort of talking about that question too, you also sort of talked about maybe there's a better alternative as well. Well, you know, it's not that there's anything particularly wrong with age 40, Trust, and to answer this specific question, yes, you can access the money before age 40. In fact, age 40 is the last possible date by which you need to access the funds. Right, so yes, right. um, so it... You know, we don't see age 40 trusts as often as certain other strategies. Uh, For example, a lot of people who want to just save for their grandchild's education will use something as straightforward as an RESP. So you sort of have to get past the the obvious ones. And then what I I can imagine that your conversation was more with respect to people who've done the obvious and now they're getting past that and into higher net worth stuff. And uh, a lot of times they'll just use a regular discretionary trust, um, and that's because it can usually be set up for multiple beneficiaries. Sometimes with age 40 trusts, you're you're tracking the age of one specific beneficiary. So you have m- beneficiaries with different ages, and one's 10 years younger than the other, and you know it, it just it's it's not as as practical. So a lot of people, what they'll do is they'll set up just a, a discretionary trust. They'll lend money to the trust, then the trust will invest that money, and then that income will be paid out to the grandchildren or you know, used to pay for education, that sort of thing. And there would be no um, attribution associated well, with that? Well, it has to be set up properly, okay. right? So, yeah, it, who's, who are the trustees of the trust? You know, was there um, a prescribed rate of interest paid on the loan, or are you just actually uh, paying out the capital gains to minors sort of thing? You know, what is it that you're paying out, and, and how is it being paid out? And your point is an excellent one. You have to make sure it's done properly, or, yeah, the attribution rules can get you all over the place. Okay. Yeah. Thanks. You know, with dealing with a lot of my clients, and I know you've received some of my um, draft wills in the past where a client will get a will done and we'll actually, Annie and I will review them and some of them will get a little more complicated. So we'll send a copy off to Christine mm-hmm. and she'll go through and say, well, you didn't, you know, here's a risk, here's another risk, here's another risk. But if you had to just, you know, start at the beginning, what would you say the biggest concerns are for most clients out there today? To be honest with you, it usually doesn't have anything to do with the will. It's all the stuff they're doing outside of the will. Mm. And I find that there is a huge preoccupation with saving probate fees, which are actually known as estate administration taxes in Ontario, Mm -hmm. which is a more accurate term because it it is a tax. Pure tax, yep. Right. But uh, people get all up in arms about the estate administration tax, which is 1.5%, and don't even mention income taxes, which I believe the highest income tax rate in Ontario, and you can correct me if I'm wrong, I believe it's 53.53. Right on. Yeah, so I think it's the second highest in Canada. I think PEI just nipped us on okay, that one. There you go. Really? So yes. they're losing their minds over 1.5 yes. and not 53.53. Now I'm a lawyer, not an accountant, and even <laughs> I can do that math and yeah. figure out that one is a lot bigger than yeah. the other. And I usually have to tell people, like, you know, don't worry about the probate fees. It's, 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 I'm a Winnipegger. It's a mosquito. It's an annoyance. <laughs> you know, like just leave it. Let's swat it away. Just forget yeah. about it. Um, but what you really do need to worry about is is income taxes. And so what I'll see is, okay, people will have three kids. 
And as I said, they're all up in arms about probate planning. So they'll go into the bank and they'll designate one of their three kids as the direct beneficiary of their $300,000 RSP. Well, when they pass away, that $300,000 goes to that one beneficiary. Now, first of all, in many cases, when you ask the clients, is that what you really wanted? They'll say, well, no, they're going to share it. My will says everything's to be divided Mm -hmm. by three. (laughs) Well, it's not going through your will. You've made a direct beneficiary designation, so it's going to that one child. They don't even realize the kicker is 150 of tax is coming off their estate. So even if their children were going to share the remainder of their estate, that's actually been eroded by the tax the, the big tax mm-hmm. being paid on this asset that's gone to one beneficiary to save what I refer to as the little tax. Which mm. in that case would so, be like $4,500 exactly, right? versus this 53% of three hundred grand yes. over $150,000. Right. And you're more worried about this $4,500. Right. right. And then, you know, it, it's the litigation and, and uh, you know, just the, the permanent damage it does to these families. Like yeah. I see a lot of the aftermath and you know, it's, it's ironic because parents say, well, when, when you ask parents, what's, what are your objectives? Well, I want my kids to all get along sure. and you know, have a relationship. Yeah. And then they do these things that completely unwittingly cause their family to never speak to each other. And, and it's, it's, it's a lot of um, do it yourself planning and sort of they, they try and shuffle things you know, behind the scenes. Cause again, they're trying to constantly avoid what they perceive to be this big thing. And when you ask people what estate administration tax is like how big do you think it is they'll come up with numbers like 25 percent like they have no idea right. what it really is and it's minor hmm. yeah there's always that concern i know Andy and i've talked about the big tax little tax on you know literally t- on your behalf because we got that <laughs> <Thank> from you, <laughs> you. <laughs> <laughs> thank <Okay>. you <laughs> so it's been great information but again there is a preoccupation there what do you see if you had to get like the worst case scenario of somebody who's so consumed about saving that little tax how much did it cost them in legal fees after Oh, like I've seen cases where it's cost them hundreds of thousands of lit- lit- uh, legal fees. And, and like, it's just, it's been horrible. And, and the family never talks no, about it. No, of course not. And, and one family, you know, one branch of the family gets left out. So one example is, let's say, blended families. Right. So if you have someone who has children from a previous relationship and they get remarried or even if they're common law, you know, they're, they're into mm-hmm. a new relationship later in life. And so they say, well, what I really want to do is not pay any tax. And also, you know, I'm going to just set everything up the way I set it up the first time and have everything in joint ownership with my new partner and designate them as the direct beneficiary of everything. So they pass away. Well, where does everything go? Their new partner. Mm. Their new partner passes away. Where does everything go? Their kids from the previous relationship? No. (laughs) (laughs) So, (laughs) you know, and even if they intended to include them, you know, they've gotten remarried or they've given the money away or something's happened in the meantime, right? A lot of this stuff isn't intentional. I'm not saying these are bad people. I'm just saying this is really bad planning. So for people in in blended families, I really think that probate planning is something that you need to consider very, very carefully. And it's difficult, too, because a lot of times in a blended family, everybody's trying to get along with the new partner. Partners, yes. the new partner's children, yeah. and uh, and often circling back to this kind of discussion creates a lot of tension in terms of the old the old spouses, the new spouses, and how everyone's being it dealt can, with. It can, although sometimes if you put things on the table, it really does clear the air. And if you say, look, I, I have this new partner, I have to take care of him or her, I'm yes. leaving them 50%, whatever the number is. Yes. But I haven't forgotten about you. I'm leaving you a large portion. And in fact, I've bought some extra insurance to make sure, quite frankly, you're no further behind. Then there's actually, that diffuses the situation. Everyone's relaxed. Yeah. They're not worried about the gold digger. They're not worried about it. You know, <laughs> yeah. like it's just, yeah. it's done. <laughs> Blended families are a big uh, 
minefield. There's no doubt about it. And it's um, and one of the questions that I've had uh, a couple of scenarios this year has been around marriage breakdown, but mm-hmm. in the form of um, parents now circling back to their adult children in a marriage breakdown. And in many cases, in the one particular where they're trying to maintain the family home, and as a result, the parent is deciding, should I loan money to my adult child so they can buy out the, the, the former spouse so that they can maintain the principal residence for the children mm. and everything else. And so the advice around that is, is I'm sure it's, it's complicated, but mm-hmm. should it be a loan? Should it be a gift? How could it be structured? And, and how do they equalize the other players, the other children that are not right. getting this money up front? Okay, so this is a situation where the child is getting divorced, not entering into a right. relationship. So actually the, the potential ex-spouse is an actual ex-spouse and is leaving the picture. Correct. Yeah, so... Uh, that that's a situation where I think what you really do need to do is, is enter into a loan, as you've suggested, and make sure that it's properly papered and respected. Um, so make sure that you do go see a lawyer and everything is written down. I think that the one problem with that sometimes is if it's a principal residence and the child already has a mortgage from a di- traditional financing company, yes. that that financial institution isn't going to be too thrilled to hear that they now have a secondary mortgage, you know, in, in favor of the, the, the parent. Right. So you have to be a little careful of that. You may, you may or may not be able to actually put that on title. Mm-hmm. But the thing is, in that particular case, the child is separated. So that takes away the one risk that a lot of parents have is if I give money to my child and they're about to get married, will that be shareable? And that's... That's the next question when we come back. <laughs> and we'll come to, back to that in a second. <laughs> so I think, you know, really all, all that, all you have to think about is in the future, if you enter into another relationship, get a domestic contract or protect it. But the thing is, so long as you have a promissory note in place, that can help the other problem that you identified, which is how do I equalize things for the other kids? Because let's say they've lent them $100,000. Then if that loan is still in effect at the time of death, technically that needs to be paid back first before anything else is divided. So it can help to to even things out. The problem is you have to like make a payment, make an interest payment, make a, you know, you can, if you let it go statute barred, you're done. We are planning your financial future. I'm Scott Thompson. Andy Lister and Don Fox are here from IG Private Wealth Management, and they have brought with them Christine Van Cowenberg, who is the Vice President of Tax and Estate Planning for IG Private Wealth Management. And we are coming right back. We are planning your financial future. I'm Scott Thompson. Andy Lister and Don Fox are here from IG Private Wealth Management. You can call now and leave a message at 905-529-7165 and check out the website at andyanddon.com. That's andyanddon.com. And Andy and Don with them today have Christine Van Cowenberg. She is the Vice President, Tax and Estate Planning for IG Private Wealth Management. And we're talking about uh, prenups and uh, things that just don't go right. <laughs> and there's lots. And Christine sees more of this than we'll ever see, thankfully. Yeah. Uh, and you know what's happening right now, though? With the real estate market, of course, more expensive than ever in, in terms of how much a house costs compared to a, a child's income. Mm-hmm. And it's far greater than it had been in the past. So now what's happening is parents are trying to help out and, and you know, gifting money or mm-hmm. loaning money or perhaps even promissory notes. And, you know, Christine and I are talking and uh, there seems to be a few minefields with that. Can you elaborate a bit, Christine? Yeah, I think that when parents are making a significant gift to their children, they need to understand that a gift's a gift and they're not getting it back. I mean, mm. that's that's the way it works. Um, but I do find that there are a lot of people who 
seem to be under the impression that they can somehow control the future and get things back. And I'm not sure if they're used to their kids always doing as they say. And so you say, well, I, I'm going to give you 10000 and I want it back. The problem is it's not just their kids they'll be dealing with in the future. It's the child's ex-spouse who, quite frankly, is thrilled to be difficult, you know, with their, with their ex-spouse and their ex-spouse's, you know, parents. They just think it's a way to stab them in the back. And it's it's amazing what people will do when, when uh, things go south in a, in a relationship. So, you know, again, keep in mind, if you're making a gift, it is a gift. It is gone. If the child ever separates or divorces, it is very likely that the money um, will be shareable. And So there actually you know, are issues where people want the gift back. Oh, yeah. Uh, I find that there are many situations where I'm going to say that, you know, the amount is 50000 or greater. They fully expect that that's an amount that th- that would come back if, if their marriage were to break down. And wow. they're working on that assumption uh, based on usually the premise that uh, gifts and inheritances are exempt in the event of relationship breakdown. There are actually exemptions in mm-hmm. the family property legislation. Um, and it very specific uh, exemptions in Ontario. The problem is what happens is people will take that $50,000 and as Don said, they'll use it to buy a house in joint names. Yeah. Well, <laughs> it's gone. Yeah. It's gone. Right? It's, 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 yeah. If you're wanting to use that gift and inheritance exemption, what you needed to do was take that $50,000 and put it in a bank account in your name yeah. by yourself and, you know, not use it to purchase a family asset and not mm-hmm. put it in joint names. So, um, that they use it for the ver- the one thing that's almost guaranteed to make it shareable. So there's a couple of, of concepts in family law. One is co-mingling. If you want to keep it separate, like you can't be mingling it with family right. assets. And uh, the other one is tracing. You need to be able to trace where the money went and say, okay, this 50000 was, you know, an inheritance and it was kept very separate. And people don't respect those niceties uh, in in many cases. So the, the whole gift and inheritance exemption, it, it's, it's basically gone from the get-go. So then they'll say, oh, well, it was a loan. Mm. Okay, so where's your loan documentation? And then they come back a day later and there's a loan <laughs> documentation. <laughs> you're like, aha, uh-huh, that, that looks like pretty fresh ink on there. Yeah, yes, right, yeah. Yes. <laughs> so yeah, no, 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 it was always meant to be a loan. Well, the problem with that is you know, if you, if you are giving fifty thousand dollars to buy this house, and I don't know, maybe down here it's one hundred and fifty thousand. Uh, yeah, I, I don't no, know what the you know. Fifty thousand be, you know, maybe a condo. Yeah, exactly. So you know, you're giving this this money, and then they have to go straight to the bank, a traditional financial institution, to get the remainder amount. And the first thing the bank does is they put a, a piece of paper in front of them, and that says. This is my money. It's not a loan. It's it, it, I received it by way of a gift, or I earned it myself. And uh, you know, no, I would never have to repay this. So this is my equity in the property. Don't worry. I've I've actually got at least this much equity. Um, that's why I qualify to take out the remainder of the mortgage. Right. So they're signed. Even if they do have this side agreement with their parents, they, you know, they've written something down on a piece of paper in a napkin somewhere. Then they go to the bank and sign it a document that says the exact opposite. Yeah. Yeah. So that, you know, it just, it's, it, you're, you're done, right? So, and then what we were talking about before the break, you know, like, so it's a loan, but did they ever pay interest? Did they ever pay principal payment? You know, if it's sitting there for several years, hmm. it starts to go statute barred. You know, you really have to pr- respect all the niceties because again, it's it's not just an argument between you and your child. It's between you and your child and their ex-spouse yeah. and mm-hmm. they are lawyering up yeah. and, you know, it just, it's, <laughs> it's a gong show, right? So, yeah. uh, and, and it's interesting, you know, I think 
going into a marriage, everything's supposed to work out well. Yeah. That's the presumption. That's why they're getting married. And again, I, you know, looking at the promissory note, I have had clients do that. And I d- gave you an example earlier, uh, Farah, of how a client of mine they got married as a wedding gift was fifty thousand dollars. Mm-hmm. Interestingly enough, and the marriage lasts six weeks. Oh, six weeks, and of course, you used it to buy a house. Yeah. and there's a matrimonial home. They did not do a promissory note in that mm-hmm. case. Now, what you're saying though. If they really went to court on that, the promissory note wouldn't have held up probably anyway. Well, it's hard to know. And one thing I will say in that particular instance is, uh, you know, if it's such an incredibly short period of time, courts have um, provided for unequal distributions of assets in very unique situations. And so that one's so extreme that I kind of wonder what would happen. And one thing we also spoke about briefly before you you and I, Don, was, you know, some people are, just because I'm talking about the worst case scenarios, there are many, many decent people who say, you know what, yeah, this came from your mom, this came from your dad, this is your money here, you know, like, and Mm. they don't want to argue over it, right? They don't want to, they don't want to lower up. So I'm not saying... And you probably see more of the worst case scenario where where we're seeing everybody. We do see the odd one, but of course, when they seek lawyers, it's usually, okay, we're we're going to battle. Yeah. Yeah. And so I would say most people would say, okay, yes, this was a loan. Right. And a promissory note proves it, and they're not going to go to court trying to fight it. Um, Sometimes they're worried about the court costs anyway. Right. Of how Mm. much that may... uh, eat yeah. away at their share of the 50,000. Yeah. But talking about kids, this is probably the biggest issue in terms of estate planning we have right now is, you, you know, you've built up a great net worth. It could be a million, could be two million. A house is an yeah. easy million right there. And you think, okay, what's the best way to structure a will? Um, there's a lot of money. Like, do I just give it to them? At 18, they just get it right. if you don't say anything. Yeah. Um, is there ages you recommend or structured wills? I know we've we've talked a few things on the air in the past, Andy and I, but I'd love to hear your opinion on that. Well, you know, I do talk to clients about this a lot, and uh, we've actually even done some surveys and some polling. And uh, as you mentioned, Don, the, the, the default is if, if you don't say anything in the will, then... Uh, a beneficiary would be entitled to receive their portion of the estate upon attaining the age of majority, which is 18 in Ontario. And all the surveys we've done, the response rate has been 0% of yeah. parents think that that <laughs> yes. is the appropriate age. Okay, right? here's a million dollars, you're 18. Yes. Okay. What could possibly go wrong? <laughs> <laughs> Rocket fuel. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> right. You know. you know, I always used to say I'd rather have, you know, give it to a three-year-old. They'd put it in their piggy bank, right? But 18, yeah. that is <laughs> At the least they just eat worst. it. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> 18 is the worst possible time to get a lump sum. So that the default is the one that, that no one wants. So then we've asked, you know, what is the right time? And I, I do think it really depends on, first of all, the personality of your child. And there are some people who are remarkably mature. Even this current young generation, there are some people who are very mature. Uh, and also, again, depends on how much they're receiving. If it's a million or $2 million, my yeah. goodness, that's that's a lot for anyone, right? Well, we're, like, we're talking about the previous the spouse situation. One thing about even if they were mature, you know, if you keep it away from the marriage, it mm-hmm. you know, at least if the marriage doesn't work out, they're still going to get some after the fact. Right. Yeah. So it does protect. It's like marriage insurance, too, yeah, I it's suppose. Right. <laughs> <laughs> you yeah, might by, so by say structuring it like at 20, 25 and then 30 so they could maybe get the first marriage, the bad one out of the way before yeah. they, they lose it all. Or the bad one tries to hang on for 10 years. <laughs> yeah, right, right, right. Yeah. So uh, when you talk about, you know, what the right age is, you've, you've made reference to what we usually recommend, which is give it out over a period of time, like yeah. give it in stages. Do not give it in one lump sum, no matter what the age is, even if they age was 40, don't give it in one lump sum because you have to give people a chance to make mistakes. And so if they mess up the first 
portion, then that's a learning experience for when they get the next portion. So I will say a lot of people um, will say that their child can have the income when they hit age 18 or 21, something like that. Then maybe a quarter of the capital when they're 25, half of the remainder when they're 30, Mm. the rest when they're 35 or 40. But it's it's sort of a moving target. Like I find when when people have young children and they're cute and sweet, they think, oh, well, by the time they're 21, they'll Mm. be able to handle it. And then they meet their kids when they're 21 and they realize, forget it. (laughs) You you said even as late as 40. What happens if you've got something like that that is structured over, you know, a few years, say 20 to 30 or 35 to 40? What happens if something happens to the beneficiary before... Yes, so that's a good question. If they pass, if they pass before yeah. they've got all their stuff. Yeah, and um, we, the, that would all be in the trust. So basically the way in which you would do this is you'd create a trust in your will. And most people actually have trust in their will whether or not they even realize it. So mm-hmm. there's a lot of boilerplate trust in the will that says if anyone happens to get any money before they reach a certain age, this is how it will be distributed. And by the way, if people pass away before the final distribution, right. it will either go to their kids if they right. have kids or the, the remaining siblings and th- all those sorts of contingencies agencies should be in there again assuming you've got a, a good lawyer and uh, you know this is why you really shouldn't be using will kits or do-it-yourself mm. things off the internet because you know uh, people don't even realize what they need to include in there right like all the, those yeah. kits have are a bunch of blank spaces yeah. and if you don't even realize what what the risks are it can be very dangerous i've actually told people i would much rather they died without a will than with a poorly drafted will it's funny you should say that because i was talking to a will expert last week in regard to uh, the passing of aretha franklin oh, yeah. when she passed initially they said she didn't have a will prince same thing massive uh, estate yeah. no will uh, they didn't think she had one then after searching her home they realized she he had three. Mm. So, uh, and I guess in that case, the latest one yes. uh, is the one that's valid. Um, but the, this person actually said that, that, you know, uh, they were handwritten wills, the, oh, the other no. three. And they said, you know, in some ways, the handwritten will is still better than anything you can get from a will kit sort yeah, of thing. Yeah, I it's, don't know. You know. Yeah, I, I, the problem with celebrities like that is it's, it's the lack of privacy. Yeah, so yeah. that's why, you know, it would be good if they could even have something outside of a, a will, mm-hmm. like a trust or something like that. But... Um, Yeah, having a poorly drafted will is the worst and having a will kit I find just doesn't Mm-hmm. take into account all the different contingencies and people do all sorts of crazy things they'll say oh I want to leave you know $20,000 to my grandchild yeah. they're so cute and of course it just causes chaos in a million different other w- ways because the child is three years old and yeah. it, they think the parents can manage the money when they can't and it has to go to the you know the government to be managed and, mm-hmm. uh, and you know and then future grandchildren don't receive anything and it's just a big mess mm. so uh, you do need to have a properly drafted will but assuming you've got that then yes Think about when is the right time for your kids. Everyone's different. If they suffer from some sort of uh, disability, they might actually have it held in trust for life Mm. and for all sorts of reasons. So I can't really comment on any one situation without knowing the people involved. Right. Uh, And again, one example maybe structured is I've had some that went uh, one-third at 25, one-third at 30, one-third of the um, estate went at 35 Mm -hmm. as an example of a a structured will. And, Mm -hmm. you know, at least... Gives them a second chance. Also lets them manage some money at yeah. the, for a little well, while. Exactly. You know, you know, a little practice because some of the, you know, people work so hard to get this money and it's amazing how often the trickle down effect, they should be well off. People should be very well off if their great grandparents were well off. Mm-hmm. But it's funny enough, they weren't, somebody along the line didn't manage money right. Yeah. And next thing you know is they, they, the money's gone. Mm-hmm. 
We tell a lot of clients to bring their kids in with them to see their financial planner and introduce them to their mm-hmm. financial planner and just start off with a small amount of money and understand the consequences of what having all this money means. And sometimes when they see the illustration, they'll think, oh, wow, I've got a million dollars at age 30. Well, it actually doesn't take a lot of effort to blow through that if you're not adding to it, right? Yeah. So, mm-hmm. I mean, it's, it's, it's you, you do need to understand the consequences of having money. Parents will often uh, have this conversation where, you know what, we've, we've done well, we've worked hard, and our kids are educated. How do I get them off my payroll? <laughs> I'm still giving money or paying for things, and uh, I know one of the um, one of the areas are yeah, yeah one of the areas the cutting the cord. But one of the areas that you t- uh, talked about uh, and in your book as well was about uh, the the um, uh, the courts recognizing that gifts on a regular basis mm-hmm. can actually be considered income. Yes, and. and Tell, tell us about that and what, yeah, so what are the, the, the pros courts, and cons. The, the cases that have gone through the courts, these have been, been quite high net worth families. And, and although it doesn't necessarily have to be high net worth families, there's some people who just uh, help their children for a long period of time, and mostly because they want to help their grandkids. <laughs> they don't right. like their kids that much, right. but they love their grandkids. Yes. And so, but in the court situations, you know, you've got these high net worth families. And in some cases, their kids have done well, but they're living in Toronto and their grandkids are going to private school and they have huge expenses. So these pa- grandparents were giving their kids $50,000 every year, you know, on a very regular pattern. Yes. So then when they separated, the court said, well, we're going to include that 50000 on an ongoing basis into the future. You've done it for the last 10 years. We know darn well you're going to keep doing it. And the kids would say, well, it's not employment income. It's a gift. It, you know, they're not required to give it. And the courts would say, well, no, they're not required to give it, but we know darn well they're going to give it. And in right. fact, we're going to gross it up. It's the equivalent of receiving $100,000 before tax. So it, it, it's, it impacts spousal support payments. And that could really make So there's the out for parents. Like, listen, <laughs> if I don't get you off the payroll, I may be paying exactly. you for the rest of exactly. your life, yes. even if you're separated, divorced, mm. etc. So. <laughs> yeah. And we yeah. were talking before about, you know, even with gifts uh, to buy a house, yes. you know, maybe wait till they've been married five years and they, you know, you, you know that the, the marriage is going to, ta- <laughs> you know, stand the test of time and is let that, them rent for a while. Is that then, any real indicator though? <laughs> uh, yeah. With the amount of gray divorce going on, probably yeah. not. Good point. <laughs> oh man. Um, I've got questions too about, uh, I want to talk about cottages and the, um, the pros and pitfalls around cottages and, and the succession planning around that and also charitable giving with, with respect to the estate and, and uh, what are some of the best options there? Okay. Still got a couple of minutes. Left okay, perfect. Well, yeah. let's talk about charitable giving then in terms of the estate and, and what are the best strategies around that? You know, it really depends on the person. And I think, um, you know, are you wanting to make an immediate gift at the time of death? Then, you know, just give it in your will or you, know, you can buy an insurance policy, make the charity a direct beneficiary designation. Um, or is it about making a, an ongoing gift, having a legacy there? And that's when we would talk about uh, our strategic giving fund or some sort of, uh, you know, public uh, charitable donate donation type of strategy where you you've got the ability to make a large gift to one of these uh, public organizations that you know they, they're, they're charities that are set up they're, they're community foundations effectively they will give you the the uh, charitable receipt and then that money is, sits there and is and you use the income over a period of time so every year you are allowed to say where the income will go. Maybe it's 4% or something like that, but it will last over a period of time. And if you want to make a really significant gift, I would say, uh, you know, a donor advised fund would mm-hmm. be the way to go because it, it can have a more lasting impact. 
Great. We are planning your financial future. I'm Scott Thompson. Andy Lister and Don Fox are here from IG Private Wealth Management, and they have with her or with them this week uh, Christine Van Cowenberg. She is the Vice President, Tax and Estate Planning for IG Private Wealth Management. Going to take a quick break here. We're coming right back. We are planning your financial future. I'm Scott Thompson. Andy Lister and Don Fox are here from IG Private Wealth Management. You can call them now and leave a message. They'll return your call at 905-529-7165 and check out their website at andyanddon.com. Talking about planning for 100. Hey, wait a second. You guys cut. I've got three more surveys I can do oh, here for oh, testing oh, you. No? no? All right. No, next all right. week. Go ahead. Right. Next no, week. No, it's no. so much fun with that. <laughs> it's your show. $10.41 interest, 2% compounding. <laughs> Who gets that without a calculator? <laughs> Good I don't point. feel bad. Good no, point. nobody. 82% or something apparently, but I, <clears throat> I have a feeling they were given a calculator. Um, planning for 100 quite interesting. Um, all those little tips that we just went over, that Andy just went over, um, we're all would all help you actually plan your financial plan for 100. Mm-hmm. Interesting enough, it seems like who the heck wants to plan for 100? Like, first of all, my dad only lived to 74. Or my dad, only, my uncle died at this age. Mm-hmm. British government estimates right now, any newborn, which I guess, uh, Harry, you just... Uh, Archie. Archie. Archie, yes. Archie mm-hmm. the newborn. He has a, Archie has a one in three chance if he was a random child in Britain, never mind royalty. One in three chance of making 100 right now. He probably has a more chance. Yeah. I would suggest he probably has 100% chance. Look at Prince Philip. He's already almost there. <laughs> exactly. Or even Queen Elizabeth. <laughs> yeah. He's 94. Yeah. 95? Yeah, there. Yeah, somewhere up there. Yeah, yeah. And I wouldn't be yeah. shocked if No, Queen that's too old. I think he's 92. He's, he's 92 he's, and she's 90? Yeah. I don't know. I could be wrong. Yeah. A lot up there, but it's not a big deal. Like, oh, the fact they made 90, okay. Yeah. You know, yeah, you, they don't look as good. Well, Centurion is the biggest. Uh, the fastest growing area. Fastest growing demographic. Right. One exactly. out of three right now is what they estimate. And if you knew you were going to live to 100, what would you do differently? Now, you could Relax. Take, yeah. <laughs> 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 and it's interesting because everything we do, it, some of these are just little lines in the sand that we say, well, you retire at 65 because... Most way back, you only lived to average 68. Yeah. Well, they didn't really change that retirement age. That hasn't changed at all. And no. Meanwhile, if you live to 100, you have 35 years of retirement. That's an awfully long time. Education, I thought, was very interesting. If you, if you knew you are going to live to 100, you better uh, update your education. A lot of the companies you work for yeah. will provide free education if you take the courses. Mm-hmm. And because a lot of the stuff you're doing now will be obsolete. Mm. A couple times. Good point, yeah. <laughs> so you better keep going and making sure that you're, 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 you're relevant. Mm-hmm. Um, working past 65 will happen far more regularly because you're spending so much time in retirement. It, and really, do what you really want to do. Really enjoy it. If you're going li- to work a long time, like already work can be a 40-year mm-hmm. from you know, 25 to 65. Yeah. Well, you know what? If you're going to work a next job or your next career, make it a fun one. Canada Pension Plan and, and old age security. Well, do you take it at 60 for the Canada Pension Plan or do you t- start your OAS at 65 like most people do? Or do you defer it to 70? And I quickly did a, a, a Canada Pension Plan. And if you're going to get $1,000 a month at 65, you'd end up with 640 if you started at 60. Mm. And you'd end up with $1,420 a month at age 70. Well, what does the, what, how much difference does that make? Mm. With no inflation, nothing else. And, and it actually only makes it even more... Um, relevant to have it increase because of inflation. 
If you started at 60, by the time you ha- got to 100, you would have taken out 307,000 out of the Canada Pension Plan. Start at 65, 420,000. So another $113,000 extra by starting 65 versus 60. Mm-hmm. If you wait to 70, you'll end up with 511,000 of dollars coming out of the Canada Pension Plan that you would have received by age 100. Yeah. Yeah. So <clears throat> another 90,000 more. And again, that's, that's on the low side because of indexing. You have to look at inflation in you know, making sure it's inflation-proofing your investments. Because one thing is, the nice, nice thing about OES and CPP is they are indexed with inflation. But things such as your investments, you, you may want to have a bit more in equities. Because mm-hmm. uh, if you're all in fixed income investments, they will not keep up with inflation. Groceries that cost you right now $650 a month right now will cost you $1,424 a month Yee. at 2.5% inflation. And that's probably being a little on the realistic side. I love that uh, new annuity uh, proposal that uh, came out in the last budget of an annuity starting at age 85. So you put some money in and it's longevity insurance. Mm-hmm. And you get a little bonus and you start getting this new income at age 85. Those would become very popular. And mm-hmm. I, I would definitely recommend those to my clients. I yeah. hope it does become law. Mm. Um, keep physically active and mentally active. Well, wow, if you're going to live that long, you you want to make sure you're in good you shape. You want to be doing something. Yeah. <laughs> um, Having the right combination of tax-free savings accounts and RSPs. A lot of things Andy s- said, you know, making sure you're being paying the least amount of tax possible. And really, at the end of the day, when you're looking at planning for 100, now, what difference does it make if I said, let's plan for 90? You should be looking at all these anyway. Okay, but planning 100 has more a bit of a ring to it. It's a lifelong financial solvency test. It's a marathon. It's not a sprint. Mm-hmm. You've got to plan this a long time and making sure you have a really good planner. So again, some of the biggest mistakes that I find people have come across is uh, the incorrect use of leverage. They'll go borrow and uh, for investments or borrow for a lot of things. And then they'll, uh, if they borrow for investments, it's tax deductible, but they'll often let the investments pay for the interest they take very high risk type strategies and they end up losing the money. Mm-hmm. You cannot afford to lose your money if you're going to live, live to 100. Um, again, having too much allocation in the higher risk area. Um, and what I mean by that is one thing is like often you go into the, what's the next best area. And mm-hmm. right now it's say the uh, Googles and the Facebooks. Netflix is kind of the hot area right now, the, yeah. the growth area. Well, just because it is now doesn't mean what it will be later. Mm-hmm. So you need to have a proper diversified portfolio that does have some of those. Oh, well, I know they just um, uh, Uber, for example, just had a public offering, yes. right? Yeah. So, yeah. but you know they they're, they're losing you know three hundred and fifty million dollars a quarter, so mm-hmm. they're not making money. Yeah. And yeah. the same thing would be true about Tesla and the other. So they're not yeah. actually making any profit, will they though? Right. Absolutely. And then and then one last one would be excessive use of whole life insurance. You know, those people that just simply try to put money in a whole life insurance policy is just to kind of put money away for whatever purpose. Well, if you're going to live to 100, you may need that money. And it it's really comes down to, yes, it's nice to leave an estate, but I want to leave see people maximize their fun while they're alive. 
We are planning your financial future. I'm Scott Thompson. Andy Lister and Don Fox are here from IG Private Wealth Management. We're coming right back. We are planning your financial future. I'm Scott Thompson. Andy Lister and Don Fox are here from IG Private Wealth Management. You can call them now. Leave a message, 905-529-7165. And don't forget their website at andyanddon.com, andyanddon.com. And today we have a special guest. Christine Van Cowenberg is with us, Vice President, Tax and Estate, uh, uh, Vice President, Tax and Estate Planning with IG Private Wealth Management, talking about trusts. Yes, and you know what, first of all, it's just great to have Christine here. Yeah. You know, we, we go through situations, and again, this is the difference from a financial planner and an advisor, just simply a investment advisor. We're not trying to measure which raindrop's gonna go down the window quicker than the other raindrop. Mm-hmm. And that, to a large part, is what investment planning is. You're trying to guess which, which fund is gonna outperform the other fund. End of the day, asset allocation is part of it, no question. Investment planning is part of it, but the real key and where you can save a ton of tax, keep the peace in the family down the road, <laughs> is the real planning that goes behind it. Mm-hmm. So, <laughs> good timing there. But uh, <laughs> so, so you go. You through hand all your that. phone to Christine. Yes, there no kidding. <laughs> and uh, so, at the end of the day, we want to make sure there's a proper financial plan, and that's what differentiates, you know, really. Um, a good plan and yeah. how much tax you're going to pay. It's the whole picture. It's a big picture. Yeah. It's all these things. And having a resource like Christine there in Winnipeg normally, mm-hmm. and where we're, we're talking to or sending emails or, or, or th- giving a will to look over, we're going over trust services, all these different things come into play you know, each and every week with Andy and I. Mm-hmm. And so this is where, again, I just want to differentiate. This is what financial planning is all about. And I'm really pumped that she's here. It's great to have her right here beside us. Because again, Thanks, we always just see uh, emails and stuff back mm-hmm. and forth, but we've got the face right here. So it's great. But tax trust services, I've had some instances recently where, you know, clients have amassed a lot of wealth over the 34 years that I've been with in IG Wealth Management. And now they don't have somebody that will look after that wealth for their kids or they don't trust them or they're out of the country. Or could you just expand on, you know, how we, we just had a relationship recently with Concentra Trust. And I think it's an exciting, you know, relationship. But I'd love to hear a bit more about how that could work for clients. Yeah, so th- what happens is, you know, you go see your lawyer and one of the first decisions you have to make is who's going to be your executor or it's known as a state trustee in Ontario or we, the generic term is personal representative. So who's going to manage your assets after you're gone? And when you think about it, that's a huge decision because even you didn't get the opportunity to give away all your assets when you were alive, right? You kept them all and then someone else is distributing them. So uh, a lot of families actually don't pay enough attention and sell the, so they'll choose uncle so-and-so or sister so-and-so because they think well he or she will be offended if you don't pick him or her they'll be relieved if yeah. you don't pick him or her it is a yeah. massive massive job you have no idea have, have you ever been an executor no oh it is a no. massive job i don't want it like i no yeah. one wants it right and uh I, I think that you do need to understand that, you know, all of a sudden, everyone's... So, yeah. Sorry to interrupt, Christine, but yeah. is it about getting the smart uncle, the smart brother, sister, whatever, or is it about getting a professional to do this? Well, I think most people will choose a family member yeah. and they will hopefully choose someone who's, first of all, honest and trustworthy, and secondly, organized and competent. Yeah. 
But not everyone has a family member that can do that. And what if you do own, you know, extensive assets and real estate and a business and oh, and you've got beneficiaries who hate each other and, you know, you have to file tax returns. And, you know, if you've never done that yourself, how can you now do it on behalf of someone else? And, you know, it, it, everyone's emotional and yeah. it has to be done right away and there's tons of pressure. And, of course, the person's never done it before. Invariably, you're dealing with someone who's doing it for the very first time. Often it's their parent, so they're upset about what's going on so it's it's a huge huge ask uh, in some cases uh, the, the kids don't live in Canada anymore so they mm. really can't even act because it, the, the court's not going to appoint them because they're non-residents um, you could also have conflicts of interest because you're dealing with a blended family you're going to ask the, the new spouse to act or the kids from the previous relationship to ask you know is there a timeline in which you have to execute all of this well yes so there's you know you're going to be liable if you don't file tax returns and right. file for probate and all <laughs> that kind of stuff which leads to the point that Don was making in many cases I do think the better choice would be to choose a corporate trustee and we do have a relationship with Concentra Trust and you know they have people across the country who've helped us out and you know I I think some people say well I don't want to choose a corporate trustee because they're going to charge for their services Mm -hmm. a family member can charge for services they could charge for doing a lousy job so why don't you pay for doing (laughs) a professional job right like five percent is yeah 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 yeah. but it's not necessarily five percent you have to prove that you did that much work that's kind of the 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 baseline but yeah if, if it's a really simple estate and it's a huge amount, they're not going to give you 5%. And so consensus is going to charge. What would yeah. they charge? Yeah, they, they, it depends on the value of the estate. Okay. They have a grid. So, and, and, you know, and all the, the, the corporate trustees will charge. But yeah, you're, you're probably going to be looking at a few percentage points. And then an ongoing, because, you know, these, for somebody that said, let's say you have a disabled adult child. Right. And that person could live 20, 30, 40 more years. Yes, but if you do it properly and they still qualify for social assistance and they get the tax benefits of qualified disability trust and you haven't mismanaged the money and you haven't made everyone bankrupt, who cares that you're paying 3%? You've got the other 97. Yeah. Mm. That's the part where people, you know, they sort of forget, well, if, if someone mismanages the money, it's not the 3% I'm concerned about or yeah. the 5% or whatever number yeah. it is. It's the rest because it all gets, you know, just... Blown. Great, great point. Andy and I talk about this often. We we talk about we, we should be measured on results. So yes, often, you know you see a lot of this commercial saying, "Oh, this costs so many dollars to manage money." I said, "Well, look at the results. Yes, look at what we've been able to help clients over the many years. They've now had, you know, bought houses, raised kids, went to university, retired, and lived comfortably to retirement. Got to their um, assisted living and passed away financially independent." You know, at the end of the day, that's what financial planning is. Not about, oh, did I save an extra half percent along mm. the way to do this? Mm. And it sounds to me that Cassandra Trust is in the sim- similar thing. Yeah, and anything like legal services, accounting services, that kind of stuff, that's not something you want to cheap out on. Right. Yeah. You know, you yeah, did, it's not point. a point of pride to say I got the cheapest will. <coughs> that's not a good yeah. thing. No, <laughs> good any of that stuff. No. <laughs> Don't brag about no, that. No, no. <laughs> we have been planning your financial future. I'm Scott Thompson. Andy Lister and Don Fox have been here from IG Private Wealth Management. And, of course, with them, Christine Van Cowenberg, who is Vice President, Tax and Estate Planning with IG Private Wealth Management. Uh, and, by the way, you can still check out the website, andyanddon.com. Thank you, everyone. Thanks, Scott. Thanks, Scott. Thanks Christine. Thank you. Thanks for having me.